Good morning and welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, I have a few thoughts on the Lakers introduction of Patrick Beverly, which did not feature any Rob Polinka. And then I also am going to give a couple thoughts on the addition of Patrick Beverly and how that pretty succinctly sums up the Lakers approach to Russell Westbrook if he is on the roster this year. Few things are more consistent across all the sports than the Lakers' insistence on striving for peak weirdness in everything they do. Most teams with a $40 million point guard already on the roster would make do with the backup at the position who, say, doesn't outwardly mock the guy who will likely be starting ahead of him. After making what might be their biggest acquisition of the offseason, most teams would make their chief basketball executive available to answer questions about the trade in the offseason to that point alongside trade target. At that press conference, most teams might have some collection of players present to kick off that acquisition's tenure, sure. Maybe a star or two here or there or alongside some other excited teammates, but surely they wouldn't send only one guy and have that player be the person this acquisition might likely be replacing. The Lakers, though, they once again opted for the most dramatic and ridiculous version of events as they used one of their few trade chips on yet another small guard, Patrick Beverly, who infamously has been in an open feud with Russell Westbrook dating back to the Obama administration. Then, upon trading Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson for Beverly, Rob Palenka stood in the back of Beverly's introductory presser where he wouldn't have to answer questions about how he's watched the Lakers go from a champion with all kinds of roster flexibility to the bottom of the standings with likely no way to get back to legitimate title contention. Instead, Palenka sent his rookie head coach up to field questions about Westbrook and Beverly potentially playing together. For what it's worth, once again, Darvin Ham acquitted himself quite well given the circumstances. Unfortunately... The drama served to tell the actual story even as the Lakers try to polish a turd with positivity. Everyone involved is saying the right things, but through their actions are telling a very different story. Jeannie Buss tried to say Westbrook was the Lakers' best player last year, got called on it, and then instead called him their most consistent player from really having shown up to work. This after saying that what she's excited about seeing next season is watching LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and, wait for it, Kendrick Nunn play next year. Nunn. Not Westbrook. Kendrick Nunn who may or may not be physically capable of scrimmaging right now. Hard to say. To his credit, Beverly and some of his new teammates have said and tweeted all the right things about their belief in Westbrook having a bounce-back season. Interestingly, Westbrook hasn't reciprocated any of that enthusiasm by even acknowledging those tweets' existence. The good news is they dapped up each other in much of the same way two brothers who were just scolded for throwing blocks at each other would before going to their respective rooms. Not awkward at all. And look, Scouring Twitter likes or analyzing handshakes is about as low as offseason content can get, but we're put in this position because the Lakers keep trying to convince us everything is okay when it clearly isn't. Port Ham tried to tell us during a summer league game that working schedules out to get LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Westbrook all in the same place at the same time is tough during a summer when, hilariously, James and Westbrook were sitting in that very gym and still wouldn't even give that awkward dap. We knew heading into this offseason this situation wasn't tenable. We've known throughout the summer that hasn't changed. Hell, the Lakers know this as well as they've spent all of June, July, August, and now September trying to trade Westbrook even as he's been out there to welcome his future former head coach and in all likelihood replacement. Someone, by the way, the Lakers targeted in no small part for being the literal opposite of Westbrook on the court. With only a couple weeks left before official training camp and potentially only mere days left before unofficial minicams kick off, the situation really hasn't changed even as, and credit to him for this, Westbrook has been nothing but professional in welcoming Ham and Beverly. 
Palinka has built this roster seemingly with a Westbrook 4 rotation player's move in mind, and as things currently stand, the personnel once again doesn't make it much sense with Westbrook involved. The logical move was to bite the bullet and send Westbrook away early in the offseason so Palinka would know what they'd need across the rest of the roster. The simplest path forward, as painful as moving two first-rounders would be, was always to accept last season's failures and try to give James and Davis a puncher's chance at a championship contention. We just know the Lakers don't do either logical nor simple. If you enjoyed this, I expanded on this topic with Dan Wojcicki, who was actually in attendance for this press conference and gave some good details on how everything went down. Now, as it pertains to Beverly, one thing I've been really interested in over the course of the offseason has been the Lakers' more abrasive approach to Russell Westbrook next season, Uh, essentially with Ham. They are bringing in somebody who, to use a football analogy, would normally be seen out there like Dan Campbell, right? Grabbing face masks and getting in people's face. He's very upfront about what he has to say, doesn't deal with any bullshit. Um, And they brought in Patrick Beverly, who is that, but like a point guard, right? And, And I think the undertone of this is if Russ is going to be there next year, that some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes and trust me, it was not pretty um, based on what I've heard from, from those, some of those involved uh, is basically if that goes on again, he's going to have Beverly up in his face and not just up in his face, but he's going to have Beverly playing his minutes. And then, you know, the person that is tasked with getting Russ to commit to defense and committing to screen setting and committing to being safer with the basketball, all of those things that the Lakers need Russ to do, even at this stage of his career, uh, the person tasked with making sure that happens is going to take a much in your face, more in your face approach to it than Frank Vogel did last year. And, and look, I, I like Frank Vogel. He seems like an altogether decent human being, but Apparently, the Lakers seem to think that in order to get Russ to do the things that the Lakers need Russ to do, they think that the best way to make that happen is to bring in somebody who is a lot more situated or a lot more confident in his ability to just, as a former player, uh, basically just put Russ in his place. How that works out, whether it works out, well, (laughs) we'll see. Still, like I said in the narrated column, and as I've said all offseason, I still think the best move here is to not force this situation on Darvin Ham. Um, the best move here is to bring in players who fit within the parameters of the roster as it's currently built and, and move on from this situation, even if it costs both of those two first-round picks. I, I personally could not possibly care less about a first rounder in 2029. That just doesn't matter to me. We're in 2022. A lot can happen between now and seven years from now. If you're really that invested in getting a first round pick, uh, I, I just, for what the Lakers need and for what, frankly, the Lakers organization needs, I, yes, they won a championship, but the other three years they've had LeBron, they've been mostly irrelevant in terms of championship contention. And that gap in between those two outcomes for the season, uh, that gap is, is pretty hard to ignore, especially given the fact that the championship that they won 
was one with a lot of holdovers. So this current leadership, this current front office and brain trust, as Jeannie Buss likes to call it, they need to prove that they can do better by LeBron's standards. They can do better by Anthony Davis's standards, even acknowledging how difficult that is to do, given how irregularly Anthony Davis is on the court. But the way that you aren't going to do that and the way that you aren't going to send that message to both LeBron and AD, future superstars in the fan base, is to run it back. All right, that's going to do it here for the Lakers Lowdown Podcast. I am uh, very thankful for you guys' support throughout what has been a fairly quiet couple months here. Um, We are just wrapping things up, hopefully with a Russell Westbrook trade to send me on my way before I head off to paternity leave. But if not, Aaron and I are going to be talking about this stuff tomorrow on The Hook. And then we have a full slate getting ready for uh, this next upcoming week. And then from there, I will be tasked with making sure an infant doesn't die. So uh, wish me luck on that. Until I talk to you guys next, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one.